It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs! Well, that's it. at the map of the week. Adventures in art! Le Chadron Comatique! Oui, oui! It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here. Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. It is Wednesday, so we are back around again to a hump day RPG show, a weekly show where I share all the cool DIY RPG stuff that I spotted over the week, the blogs, the zines, the maps, the free stuff, and everything else. I talk about it here on the podcast, and then I put it all up in order handy dandy for you over at the Thought Eater blog. So just Google Thought Eater blog while you're at it. Slap that sucker on your blog roll if you are a blogger. I think I've got a great show for you all this week. This stuff is amazing. We've got a Zine Quest preview. The free stuff is unbelievable. The maps are just so uh, unholy good. I, I, I actually, I had to cut a ton of stuff. So it's a lot to get to. Couple things first. I got a bunch of call-ins uh, regarding previous shows that we're going to get to. If you want to call in the show and be a part of it, you just simply go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. There's a message button there. You can leave a message and be part of the show. Love to have call-ins, love to have input. So please, any topic we talk about, jump on in there. The other thing I want to talk about before we get any further, it is the froth drive, trying to rebuild some of the support for the program since I took a 10-month hiatus. There are a number of ways you can support the program. If you want to do it financially, and financially that makes it sound like, whoa, what's this going to cost me? Well, it's going to cost you less than four cents a day. You go to patreon.com forward slash thought eater. It's only a dollar a month to support the program. Thank you so much to folks that already are. If you enjoy what I'm putting together for you every week, it's only a dollar a month. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. If you don't feel like spending any money, there's still plenty of ways that you can help spread the good word about the Thought Eater podcast. You can add the Thought Eater blog to your blog roll, as we already mentioned, or you can just share some of the stuff on social media. Also, I mean, let's be honest, there's a billion RPG podcasts out there. You might see someone say, hey, what podcast should I be listening to? And that's when you jump in. You know, you push people over, you you, st- you know, step over somebody and you scream, Thought Eater Podcast, and you do it that way. So anyway, support the program if you like it. Now, we got a bunch of call-ins, and they're over covering a bunch of the different subjects from over, from over the last few weeks. So we've got some stuff on Rule Zero and House Rules. We got some stuff talking about, well, when I was talking about long-term campaigns versus short-term campaigns, and I was talking about character death and how I like character death because then I don't get stuck playing the same thing forever and I get bored of a character if I play him for too long. So there's some character death comments. There's also a little bit of uh, commentary on uh, not only last week's Hump Day show, but last week's 5-Minute Friday 
where I talked about a method for running mystery games from a blog post from Prismatic Wasteland, where the basic idea was setting up a bunch of clues, setting up a bunch of suspects, and then if your players come up with some kind of cool, plausible scenario with it, just letting that be the solution to the mystery rather than holding them to figuring something specific out. And uh, so if you haven't listened to any of those and want to, you can go back and check that out. But I just am doing that to set up some of what you're going to hear. I'm trying to kind of keep them all in the same subject matter, but some of them overlap with different subjects. That being said, we're going to start with a couple of comments on character death from Goblin Henchman and Rob C. from Down in Heat. Hi, Froth. Goblin Henchman here. Just two thoughts. One is, do you actually have to kill off your character? Um, can you just retire your fungus wizard, wizard to the fungus woods to smoke fungal cigarettes? I mean, did he have to be killed off? Is that some sort of some sort of OSR sacrilege? Let the character retire peacefully before he becomes, you know, domain level? And um, the second one is about collecting versus using. I mean, each to his own, of course, but if uh, minis collectors were only allowed to collect minis they played with, then uh, then it would be a, it'd be a completely different hobby, wouldn't it? Um, they'd probably they'd probably be uh, much richer if they didn't collect things they couldn't uh, couldn't use or, you know, in fact, paint. <laughs> uh, all right. Cheers, fella. Bye. Different topic that I don't think I called in about was the whole idea of character death you were talking about. And I'm kind of on in the same boat as you. I get tired of my characters, maybe from being a DM most of the time and running all kinds of different NPCs and stuff. I just get tired of running one. But as far as your fungus druid, uh, what would the what what do you envision as a really cool or <laughs> ideal death? Would it be like getting killed and then chopped up and used as an ingredient in some kind of stroganoff by a cloud giant kind of sewer? Would it be getting swallowed by some giant monster like a purple worm or a dragon or something and your your fungus effect has some kind of psychotropic uh, hallucinations that cause the monster to just kind of zone out and the rest of the party can take it out you save the day? All right, so yeah, you heard there from Goblin's Henchman, the Goblin's Henchman blog, as well as Goblin's Henchman podcast. And I thought I'd also mention this, and I put this up under the intro tab. I noticed that Goblin's Henchman is going to be contributing to one of these new Zine Quest 3 zines, Planar Compass Issue 2 for Old School Essentials. Traverse the Astral Sea, discovering bizarre opportunities and dangers. Planar compass and so uh congrats to <clears throat> to goblin's henchman for being a part of that i've got a link up to the kind of pre kickstarter page uh for that coming here in february so also you heard from rob c of course from the down in a heat podcast one of the only podcasts i can stand to listen to down in a heat so let's talk about my fungus druid uh as Goblin's henchman mentioned, I was kind of referencing to, you know, I got to figure out a way to kill, to kill him off here eventually. So I've been running him for, you know, like a year and a half. Love the character. Love the character. Absolutely love it. But can't keep doing it forever. 
Um, but no, there's no sacrilege in, in, in uh, retiring the character. But in this case, the way the character is, it's, it, it just feels like it's got to be death. And I, there's actually a really funny meme that I just coincidentally happened upon that I also put under the intro tab that has to do with with uh, killing off your character deliberately that y'all will have to check out that I thought was quite amusing. And uh, and so Rob, given some ideas, well, just to give y'all a little bit more about the fungus druid, he's, a, he's a kind of a, a grotesque, you know, grotesque young chap and uh, something akin to like Pigpen from the uh from peanuts you know where um even if you put to just a fresh you know crisp clean clothing on him it's like immediately soiled so it's not only immediately soiled but it also is kind of just wearing away to where it kind of like you know exposes some skin and it really has no undergarments it's just kind of like this uh almost like a filthy smock sort of deal that he wears um like he has a uh a, a protruding uh, Audi belly button that's almost like a mushroom in and of itself. So, you know, with the, you know, the holes in his smock and everything else, you, you know, you might, I, I'll often mention how I brush up against someone and I'll say, you feel that, uh, you feel when I brush up against you, you feel his, his protruding Audi kind of just doing off you. <laughs> so, um, but also I say that because, you know, I want him to die like a noble, you know, doing something noble, hopefully, you know, trying to save the party, but also, you know, to, to somehow end up, you know, with his, his soiled little bottom in the air, you know, somehow just end up in a, uh, um, like a fetal position, you know, butt in the air. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, a lot of this, I guess you have to be part of the campaign to, uh, I don't know how this is translating. Hello out there. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's got to be death and um, it's got to, hopefully there's some nobility mixed with absurdity to it because that's, that is kind of the character. So anyway, thanks y'all for checking in. Y'all be sure and check out that planar compass coming soon to ZineQuest. Now I've got some comments on rule zero. Let's get to those. Yo, Froth, awesome episode, man. So I am a big Pathfinder player slash GM, and uh, generally when I'm playing Pathfinder 1, I run it pretty much rules as written because I have most of those rules down pat. So if something pops up that I don't know off the top of my head, I generally just come up with it as I go. That being said, when I was running Pathfinder 2nd Edition for my actual play podcast... I I did a lot of rule zero because I didn't, you know, I didn't have the time or inclination to learn an entire new rule set because Pathfinder 2 is a big change from Pathfinder 1. So for that, I used a bunch of homebrew rules. And then to go around in full circle, I'm planning a new mini campaign of Pathfinder 1 where I am using a ton of home rules. Anyway, that's it. Peace out. That is Joe Richter there from the Hindsightless podcast, as well as the Pathfinder Actual Play Wheel or Woe podcast. Thank you for calling in, Joe, and you definitely point to something. There is definitely something there, not just with how well you know a rule set, I think, but also, you know, obviously 
how complex the rule set is. You know, there's some kind of dynamic there. You know, some old school games, there's huge, like, holes in the rules where, of course, you're going to use rule zero and come up with something because there is no rule for it. Whereas, you know, Pathfinder uh, has, a, you know, has a lot of codified rules for a lot of different things. But then also, as you mentioned, if you've got them all memorized, you might be less likely to come up with a house rule as opposed to when you're uh, rolling, you know, playing something that regardless of the amount of rules it has, it's something you're less familiar with. So sometimes it's just easier to make something up, keep the game flowing, double back later and check on it. But then I think it's also interesting that after mastering a rule set, then you're starting to tinker with it. And I think there's something there too. Like, you know, I think for some people, myself, I automatically see something in a game oftentimes that I want to change. And I've never even ran the game. But then I've heard other people say, you should always run the game as written, you know, at least once learn the rules before you start to tinker with it because maybe there's unintended consequences or maybe, you know, it can be the case that some things read better than they, than they play and vice versa. So you're kind of talking about a lot of interesting philosophy there and only a one minute call. So thank you very much, Joe, for checking in. Next, we have got a, a new caller, Taylor, with some thoughts. Hey, Froth. Uh, this is Cleric Square Ringmail. Thanks for the shout out last week. Uh, but yeah, talking about rules conformity in 5th edition, I wonder how much of it is because of the online resources. So a lot of the folks I know who came into the hobby from 5th edition use D&D Beyond extensively. And it's not the same as a book. Uh, I, I think it gets updated as they incorporate uh, errata and that kind of stuff. So some of the groups who came into 5e from older editions do seem to house rule it, but I wonder if that's just a habit from us uh, us old timers who are used to the physical copy. So just some, some thoughts on the subject. Hey, rock on. All right, so that was Taylor from the Clerics Wear Ringmail blog, clericswearingmail.blogspot.com. It came up last week. <clears throat> Very cool blog. And uh, actually, uh, I'll get more, uh, more into that blog here in just a second. But as for what um, they had to say, and thanks for the call in, by the way. Yeah, that is a really good point. D&D Beyond is like the strangest thing. Like for me, because I do like 5e. And when I, when I was talking about Rule Zero and maybe it being almost seeming like it's kind of like a dying art, maybe with some of the newer editions and everything. <clears throat> I didn't mean to for for that to sound like I'm cutting on uh, later editions because I, I like them all. Uh, I'm playing in a game right now, so uh, if any listeners got that impression, don't let that be the case because I do enjoy it. It's just I see fewer house rules being used in the games that I'm uh, that I play in, um, and I was just kind of wondering why that is, and thus the calls. But D and D Beyond, like for me, I was like. When I heard about it, I was like, oh, it sounds cool. And then I was like, oh, wait, I don't want to buy the books twice, you know, because I like having the physical book. I'm definitely going to have the physical book. But then it costs basically the same amount to get the books for D&D &D Beyond, you know, the online tool. 
And so I'm like, I don't want to have to buy the books twice. Whereas a lot of people, generally younger people, I think, but it could be anybody, but they're like, thank God I don't have to buy the book. <laughs> you know, They're like, awesome. I just buy it on D&D Beyond. I don't have to buy the book. They don't want the big lug around book. They don't want the big complicated, you know, where do I find this page textbook? They, they like the handy dandy tool. And I think there could be something there because, you know, as it's easy to look up a rule, I mean, it's really, I have a friend in our gaming group that has D and D beyond and, and it's really quick to look up a rule or look up this, you know, it's fair. It's, it, it's less time than looking through the book. Even if you're really familiar with the book, it's just the nature of electronic tools and, and it's well put together for what it is. So I think maybe that is an interesting point. Maybe the, the ease with being able to, to find and reference a rule on an online tool like that maybe negates the need for kind of uh, coming up with something on the fly when you have to. It, it wouldn't change, you know, changing a rule because you don't like the rule, but it would change that kind of where you default to rule zero when you can't find a rule or it's taken to, you know, you don't want to interrupt the game or whatever else. So but you made me think about that. It's like for, you know, for some people it's like, I don't want to have to buy it twice. And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to have to buy the book at all. So different strokes for different folks. But I put up a link under the intro tab of a cool post over at uh, the clerics where remail <coughs> blog this week on differentiating damage and this is talking a little bit, if you've ever played first edition AD&D or look through the books, you know, it's got that famous uh, weapon type versus armor table that that few people use, you know, where depending on what armor the target's wearing and what weapon you're using, it might have a bonus or a penalty. Well, uh, there's an interesting idea that they came up with over here um, as far as instead of using the kind of static modifiers, using advantage and disadvantage depending on what kind of weapon you're using, what kind of damage it does and what kind of uh, armor someone's wearing. So not sure I would still use it still maybe feels a little complex. However, it's much less complex than that first edition AD and D uh, chart. So for example, if you're using um, slashing, say you're using a, you know, a sword or something, uh, you, you're going to get advantage on someone that's unarmored. Whereas if someone's wearing plate, you, you have disadvantage. So um, anyway, I just thought that was kind of cool. You can check that out over at clericswearingmail.blogspot.com. Hey, Froth, it's Rob from Down in a Heap. Sorry that I'm late to the party here on the Rule Zero stuff. But I think you yeah, covered some of the reasons why I think it might not be as prevalent or accepted with the people that come to the hobby lately, that the rules that they're exposed to now are so much more codified than they had been before. Virtually, you know, 95% of the stuff that could come up in a game has a rule for it. And like you say, the characters are... are so intricate and built around these things the rules themselves are so intricate that meddling with them at all tinkering seems to have unintended consequences so it's just kind of harder to do 
And I'm going to Jackson. I'm gonna mess around with the Maybe it has something to do with how you are introduced into the tabletop RPG game scene kind of thing, too. If you come from computer games, if that's how you're first exposed to games and then transition to tabletop uh, pencil and paper games, um, maybe because the game is the game, really, with a computer game, you can't really tweak things. Uh, maybe there's a different difficulty level you can set or something, but... I really don't know what the hell I'm talking about with computer games, but uh, maybe because of that, you, they even though the 5e has like a rule zero and the DMG has different ways you can tweak the game, they just don't. I don't know. But, I, I mean, I certainly am a fan of house rules. Most important thing is, Make a house rule document and get it to the players with plenty of time so you can discuss it before you play. Hey, folks, Jason here. Just want to comment on rule zero. I guess I should also comment that I also played Monopoly wrong for all those years. But as far as rule zero goes, you know, if you go over to Barry's podcast, Shadow of the GM, in episode eight, from OD&D rule zero to hero, he goes through the history of Rule Zero across all the D&D editions and shows that, you know, how it's been modified over the years. A lot of the games I still buy today have Rule Zero in them. In fact, I think most of them do. You'll be interested to know that I'm actually running a Masters of the Universe game tomorrow, and I'm going to use a rule set called Metal World. And Metal World, of course, is based around heavy metal music, and you can get it in beta form on on drive through RPG, but it also has a rule zero. So, there you go. I wasn't sure how family-friendly you wanted to keep your podcast, so I'm making this a separate call, but I, decided, I wanted to read you rule zero from Metal World, which says, first things first, rule zero of tabletop RPGs applies to Metal World, and it applies hard. That is to say, the Metal Lord has absolute freedom to break any rule she or he feels necessary to serve the greater good of creating a kick-ass story for kick-ass people doing kick-ass things. So, there you go. Reference 5-Minute Friday. I'm a two minds of this. So, it's kind of a quantum ogre thing, right? No matter whether the characters go left or right, they're going to run into that, into that ogre. Well, that's kind of what they're doing with the mysteries. And I can see that, and I think if it's a great idea, it's worth incorporating. And if you'd come up with, you know, old Uncle Joe is the villain, and the players come up with something else, and it makes just as much or more sense, and it would be really cool, I can see changing the story to do that. But I think planning to do it from the start might cheapen the experience. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to put into, you know, put into practice. I, I don't think it it would be wrong to do it every time. I think there's times it would apply. And to be fair, I haven't read the blog post yet because, as you can probably hear, I'm driving in the van. But I kind of think that's a good backup plan. And if everything goes and the rule of cool applies and, you know, what the players come up with is worth running with, I think that's definitely a decent strategy for the GM. 
But I think making that your strategy from the very beginning and not having a villain in a plot from the very beginning is kind of weak sauce. But again, I haven't read the blog spot or the actual blog, so I might be, in, you know, inferring something that's not in there. But thank you so much for pointing that out. I look forward to reading that when I do get home. So talk to you later. So you just heard there again from Rob C. from the Down in a Heat podcast, as well as Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Jason has forgotten more about RPGs than Froth will ever learn. And so more thoughts on Rule Zero there. Don't really have any comment or criticism on anything that was said. And then Jason got into a little bit on the mystery technique that I was talking about. And so, yeah, again, the idea being that you put forth clues, suspects and everything, but depending on, you know, what the players decide, if it's plausible. And as Jason mentioned, if the rule of cool is there, you just kind of roll with their solution. And yeah. And so in the original blog from prismatic wasteland, it kind of inferred that the first time they did it, it was just kind of like, it was so cool. They decided to roll with it, but then they're talking about expanding it to be a deliberate thing. And what it made me think back about is I'm sure a lot of listeners have seen the comedy clue based on the Parker brothers board game and had one of the, the great comic actors in the history of film. Madeline Kahn was in that, uh, Tim Curry, you know, from Rocky horror and, and a bunch of other stuff is in there. A bunch of other people, pretty funny movie. It's definitely got its moments. So I don't know if I'd call it a classic, but it's definitely, definitely worth a watch. But anyway, one of the marketing gimmicks with that movie, when it came out was much like the board game clue, depending on, you know, what random clues you find, you know, that it's got a bunch of suspects. Well, anyway, depending on where you saw the movie, it had a different ending. So you might go see it at one theater and Colonel Mustard, it's got the Colonel Mustard ending. And then you go see it, you know, three weeks later, you know, in, in a different state or something. I don't know how they broke it up, but, you know, and, and Professor Plum did it. So, you know, on DVD, I know I, I, somewhere on DVD, I guess it was, I got to see all the endings, you know, years later. But, and I don't know how they do it, if they're replaying it on TNT or something. I don't know if they just show all the endings at the end. But what that's showing is that the whole movie, except for the ending, you know, the fingers are pointing, the clues are pointing to any one of them. They all had motive, right? Much like any kind of Agatha Christie story or, you know, countless mysteries. And so all it was doing is just making some of the clues at the end, you know, pay off for one of, one of the people. So I don't think it's that unprecedented when you think of it in terms of the movie clue and the way that they did the ending for that, it wouldn't be that, you know, it's, it's not that an impossible, you know, what, what word am I trying to look for? You know, there's precedent, at least in my mind for, for designing something that way. And you can always, you know, if you were going to design a mystery adventure that way, you could have the clues, suspects, and everything else. You could roll with what they end up thinking 
think has happened and you can have every clue also be able to qualify as a red herring like say um you know take something simple like if one of them smokes a certain cigar and they find a certain cigar and in a room where the the murder happened and you know they find out later the person smokes the cigars well that could you know if you want to make that the actual clue you know they can figure that out and they feel like they had an aha moment if they end up going a different direction you could say that someone's put that in there to frame the guy or find a way to to make it into a red herring or or you know also find a, a box of the same kind of cigars whatever else so you could kind of have a duality to each clue if you if need be and so it's kind of interesting i was thinking about maybe trying to design something around that and you know the way i would do it is you know have everybody have a motive have each clue have a possibility of being a red herring and you just set it up and and let them roll with whatever it is and uh so anyway it made me think about that old movie clue so that was a lot of call-ins today, but I'm glad that I got them. Uh, I'm glad that uh, listeners are participating and calling in. If you want to call in on any of the, sh- any of the shows, on any of the topics, it's anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Let's get to the maps. Maps of the week. Some incredible map stuff to share with you all this week. First, I'm starting with this. This is a program called Dungeon Scrawl done by probable train and this is over at itch.io and what is cool is you can run this right in your browser at the itch page and it is a easy program if you're like froth and you have literally no artistic talent as far as you know drawing and everything goes you can just run this and put together your own cool looking awesome looking actually you know pretty you know very serviceable old school maps so I'll put up a link for this to check it out. It's completely free to use. And it's got a link on that page to their Twitter where you can follow and see when they add uh, you know, new features and everything else. So really awesome dungeon scrawl program from Probable Train. Next, I shared a, and remember all these links are up at the Thought Eater blog, just this really cool city map from Fantasy Fun Council. And this is Kyle Latino who I started following on Twitter. I've got a link up, you know, of of some of their maps. They've got a number of these really awesome isometric, I don't know, you'll have to look at it. I don't know what to compare it to really. Um, Almost like something out of old school comics. You know, they remind me of something like from EC Comics or something mixed with, with, you know, old school dungeon crawling. I, I don't know, very original. But they've got a number of these maps up over at their itch page and they also have a a zine coming out for zine quest 3 old roads it's it's just filled with these maps so definitely one i'm looking at and i'm following i've got that link up uh to where you can be following along with that as well if you're on twitter i i wouldn't uh, i would encourage you to follow kyle over there as well so check that out then uh you know i think i've featured one of these before sometimes you see these cryptid maps you know i've mentioned uh, my love for bigfoot and and loch ness monster growing up was my absolute favorite well um i think i saw will doyle post about this uh, but it took me over to reddit the 
mythology sub for, subreddit over there. And someone put up this uh, post, Neil Parkinson put up a post with an image of mythical beasts of the British and Irish Isles. So it's a map that has got, you know, little figures and drawings of all these different cryptids and mythical beasts and, you know, legends and stuff from the British and Irish Isles. <clears throat> I thought that was really cool. Uh, I think I've posted something like that for North America before. But anyway, very cool. Very, very cool. And then finally, uh, if you follow the Cartographers Guild on Twitter, these will pop up. You can also put cartographersguild.com in your blog roll, and you'll see some posts come up. But it's also a forum full of really talented cartographers. And uh, it, it only takes a minute to make an account over there if you want access to kind of everything. But they do this yearly awards called the Atlas Awards, where it's all, you know, all the different cartographers that put their stuff up over there nominate each other and kind of vote on all these different categories. So I've got a link to like their Atlas Awards section. But a lot of the nominees have been popping up on their Twitter and everything else. And all these maps are so good. That's what I was saying. It's too much stuff. Like every one of them, it seems like, is something jaw dropping. But just to illustrate that, I put up the town of Thamay from uh, from Rafal, and it's just an unbelievable city map, kind of like on this cliff's edge. But then it's also got the cutaway map from the side where you can see underground the dungeons and tunnels and everything that are under it. And it's just, I mean, the level of talent doing these uh, gaming and, you know, fantasy maps now is just, it's, it's almost, um, I don't know where it can go from here, but every time I think that, every time I think that it's, the design has peaked, someone else comes out and does something else to blow me away. So be sure and go over to the Thought Eater blog and check all this stuff out. Uh, the maps this, this week, as well as the tool uh, stuff is unbelievable. Zine Club. Zine Quest 3 is upon us. In just a few more days, February will be here. In fact, by the time you, some of you might be listening to this program, Zine Quest 3 will have launched. And just like last year, the best place to be following along with this, I mean, it's going to be hundreds of projects. The best site to be following along with all this is over at the Bonebox Chant blog. This is Pandatheist blog, boneboxchant.wordpress.com. Now, I've already got a link up. They, they've already been putting together, compiling links to just the pre-launch Kickstarter sites for this, and it's already well over 100. So, you know, it's about to be just a, you know, every zine for themselves, you know, just a complete and total melee chaos. So you got to have, have a plan ready for this. Uh, my plan, similar to last year, I'm thinking like 15 zines or 200 bucks, whichever comes first. But the dangerous thing about this is, you know, first of all, so many look good. I mean, Pandatheus has links to all, like I say, all these. There's everything from, you know, from story games to, 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 to mothership to, of course, old school D&D to new games and everything in between. Map zines, art zines, 
uh, one, you know, solo RPG zines, there's everything. So what I would advise you to do, first of all, have yourself a cap, have a plan. But then also with Kickstarter, you can follow a project. So instead of backing it, unless you're 100% sure with something, I mean, there's a couple of these that I know for a fact I'm backing, but for some of the others, you might just want to follow it because they'll be open for two weeks. You know, they'll be up funding for two weeks. You can follow them and see what else is coming out because the stuff is going to trickle out throughout February. And you don't want to be in the position where, you know, you're just, uh, unless you're, you're made of money, you don't want to be in the position where you've backed 20 things and then you see five more that you've got to have, that kind of thing. But anyway, there's no better, you know, nothing's perfect. There's no perfect place to, to see all this. There's just too many zines for that to even exist. But I'm telling you, boneboxchant.wordpress.com is where you want to be to be able to look at all this as best as you can. Like I mentioned, Pandatheist already has over 100 links to these pre, pre-launch sites. I saw one, give a shout out to Rob C, because I know Rob C from Down in a Heap has a deep love for the D12. I saw one that'll pique Rob's curiosity, Dodeca, a D12 old school style role-playing game, Dodeca, adventuring through Grimdark World. So the one with just a nothing but D12, I know that's probably... A, you know, I can picture uh, Rob's ears, you know, you know, like a fox or something, you know, or, you know, his nose twitching when he hears that uh, D12 based game. But uh, some other stuff over at the Uncanny Spheres blog. This is Ian Usum's blog. Now they have one that I'm following that they're doing called The Drain, which is a mothership uh, adventure that they're doing for kicks for, um, zine quest three. And I'm already following that. It said something like it used the word occult and it used the word mothership. And then I saw the art and then I started following it. So, uh, but anyway, they put up two posts at their uncanny spheres blog, uncanny spheres.blogspot.com Kickstarter campaign blueprints. And so this is very helpful if you're still on the fence or you're getting ready to launch a, a zine for zine quest you can check this out and look at this advice um from from someone that's you know clearly doing it right uh so I, I put both of those up i thought that might be helpful and then i've also got another similar post at the kaput capre blog kaput dash capre.blogspot.com and this is it doesn't have a name for whose blog it is but uh the name of the post oh sam and Sam put up a post, not horrifically failing at Kickstarter, a guide. So I've got you some, over the last few weeks, I've been putting up a bunch of tools, a bunch of resources for people that are thinking about dipping their toe in the crowdfunding. Uh, there was something from uh, Monkey Blood a while back. Um, I, I, I've, I've referred y'all to different zine groups that have a lot of people in them that have already done this before. Uh, you know, one on Reddit, one on Facebook. And so now here's a few more posts uh, from the Uncanny Spheres blog, as well as Kaput Capre, that is going to help you, uh, you, uh, you know, with your Kickstarter and everything. Um, right now, I mean, there's so much that I haven't, uh, and, and Pandatheist keeps updating this, that 
I haven't even been able to look at every single one of these launch pages, but I've looked at quite a few. I've got numerous ones that I'm following. Um, uh, the aforementioned, the drain I'm following. Um, I'm definitely going to be backing Logan Dean's new company RPG thing. I had Logan on a, a couple weeks ago, uh, to talk about their game. They're doing a supplement for that. And another one that I'm definitely going to, you know, spoiler alert, I'm definitely backing is, um, uh, uh, Ben Lawrence's, um, through Alton's door issue three is a double issue. And uh, because I, I already have the first two, I know they're great, and they're getting ready to launch that. Now, over at um, uh, at Ben's blog, MissourianSGarden.blogspot.com, they put up a, a preview of the cartography that's going to be going into it uh, with Gus L's work, and you you, you know very quickly recognizable, uh, really stylized and unique. And so you want to see some cool um, images to get you more hyped up about that. You can check that out. It's also got a uh, cover image and uh, the pre-launch Kickstarter link and everything else. So um, that stuff for um, through Alton's door coming together. Also thought I'd mention um, Gavin Norman over at Necrotic Gnome uh, behind Old School Essentials, the BX Retro Clone that's uh, incredibly popular right now at NecroticGnome.com. I've got a link to a post, Old School Essentials at ZineQuest, where Gavin is keeping tabs on the different Old School Essentials projects you know, that are specific to that game. And right now there's three. I mentioned Goblin Henchman working on one of these, Planar Compass. But also uh, Wild Blue Yonder is another one, and In the Shadow of Tower Silver Axe. And so those three are all, you know, just in the preliminary stages getting ready to launch. But, you know, there may be more if you're if that's your favorite game or something you know for sure you want to support. Uh, you can follow that post and they'll keep you updated. But like I say, the best thing to do is to be following boneboxchant.wordpress.com and, and also to just follow a lot of you know, because there's going to be a lot you want. I mean, you're not a human being gamer if there's not, if you don't want, you know, <laughs> dozens and dozens of these things. What I would do is to just kind of click follow on everything when you make a, that first pass through these. Um, and then as they're kind of winding down and getting close to the end, that's when you need to make your decisions. And a lot of times you're going to just be choosing between two awesome things. You're just going to have to <clears throat> we're all going to have to deal with it. A couple of non-Zine Quest related things uh, that still caught my eye over at Diamond Games, D-A-I-M-O-N, diamond-games.blogspot.com. They made reference to their Hero Quest fanzine they've been doing called Fear the Dark. This is David Pignandoli. Pignandoli. I've butchered their name countless times over the last couple of years. But anyway, these are up over on drive-thru. If you're a fan of hero quest, these are free slash pay what you want. Uh, fear the dark nostalgic dungeon crawl zine. So I thought I'd mention this because you don't see a lot of hero quest stuff out there. So if you're a fan of, of, of hero quest, the old hero quest game, uh, there's a, a fanzine out for it now. Fear the dark three issues in. Then finally, I spotted this over at the OSR Reddit um, from X Warlock Lee. My pulp and sci-fi ZineQuest One projects available for free download. So this I've linked to the post as well as to the Google Drive link that they provided. 
but there are several uh, free zines here, including Chthonic Corn Belt. Uh, and so some of these were for Zine Quest 1 and everything, and so, you know, more free zines. So what can I tell you? There's tons of stuff this week. I'm getting excited. I'm, you know, if it really starts to hit you when you when you look at that post over at Bonebox Chat, how many zines we're talking about here. I mean, it is just scrolling, 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 and you start clicking on them, and there's a lot of really cool ideas. Um, just to mention again, <clears throat> I would encourage everyone to back at least a few things that are outside your comfort zone, not something you would typically purchase. Uh, you know, it's not a lot of ton of money to back an individual zine it's a good time to take a chance on something and i found that uh some of the the weirder you know more peculiar stuff that i backed last year ended up being some of the most satisfying so anyway good luck to everyone and uh yeah random tables just a couple of little random table things this week. Uh, I knew this was going to be just a bloated show full of stuff. So just a couple little random tables things. Zowseed does the excellent Seed of Worlds blog. I've been enjoying a lot of different posts over at seedofworlds.blogspot.com. Put up a post called Spelljammer Encounter Tables. I'm getting the feeling that Spelljammer might be one of these new uh, settings for D&D. I think it's a given now that uh, Dragonlance is going to be one because I just happened to see something today before I started recording that the uh, uh, it was like Tracy Hickman announcing that the novels are for sure happening, like a formal announcement. But apparently they're doing more than one setting, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's Spelljammer. Now look, I know Spelljammer isn't perfect, but it just seems like that's where there's some design space left, you know, rather than just, you know, kind of not vanilla fantasy, but something just different, you know? So I'm ready for D and D in space and hopefully they really expand on it, change it and, and just kind of go for it. But anyway, this uh, post put up a, like a collection of a bunch of different random encounter tables, um, Compilations of encounter tables, pirates and encounter ideas for spell jammers, random encounters at spell jamming speed, fun and weird encounters for a spell jammer 5e environment, just a bunch of different links to, to spell jammer encounter tables. Some of these you might be able to use for, um, you know, for other space games and everything else. So anyway, it was a cool post and I love these kind of posts that co collate a lot of different you know, things together. I'm kind of addicted to that. So, so I thought I'd put up that link. And the one I'm going to roll on today is over at rememberthismove.blogspot.com, the I Don't Remember That Move blog. And I thought this tied into all the mystery talk we've been doing because it's very much in the vein of like an Agatha Christie novel. It is called People You'll Meet in Cairo. And it's kind of around, you know, that period of, you know, colonial period. And so these are all like characters you could absolutely expect to find in an Agatha Christie novel. It's actually a D30 table, so let me pull that sucker out. I'm going to roll you enough. All right, so let's see. And these would be great. I mean, any number of these you could actually use to formulate your own mystery adventure if you wanted. Now, keep in mind, these are from the colonial period and everything else. But all right, so Jim Hyde. Uh, Jim Hyde. He is a fail son from a good family, but he's an opium addict and a low-grade con man. He hangs around hotels 
uh, scamming drinks off tourists, trading off his education and good breeding to sell fake artifacts at bargain prices, lives in a filthy apartment near the souk. So yeah, maybe maybe somebody that might be an early suspect, but you know they're they're a likely suspect, but they didn't end up doing it. Other people you might meet in Cairo. Let's see, Bruno Colombo, wealthy Italian playboy and daredevil, pencil mustache, flies biplanes, gambles recklessly, secretly a dangerous anarchist responsible for the bombing of a Roman bank and the death of three policemen. These are great because they're so they're such stereotypes, but they all uh, they all fit the topic so well. Uh, let's do one more. Malik, cheeky little street urchin of indeterminate gender. Picks your pocket and runs in a dark alleyway where the rest of the gang waits. Bare feet, covered in weeping sores. Has a knife. Expects to be ruthlessly beaten if caught. Genuinely dangerous. Watch out for Malik. Don't chase. Be careful. Be careful in Cairo, right? So anyway, I thought these were really inventive. And like I say, a lot of them are, are, are fairly stereotypical. And it is set in that colonial period. But uh, they're absolutely pitch perfect if you're going to do something, maybe even a Lovecraft game or any kind of mystery game, uh, you know, with that Agatha Christie uh, Poirot influence. So check that out at rememberdismove.blogspot.com. Hump Day Blogorama. What else did I notice this week? <clears throat> okay, over at rollingboxcars.com. I should have had these links open. Let's go ahead and rectify that real quick. They do a review of this game, Alice is Missing. And come on, Internet. This is Modoc, Modoc 31, doing the review of this. Alice is Missing, a silent role-playing game. I don't know if anybody else out there has heard about this. I had heard some people mentioning it, you know, wanting to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I just heard some buzz about it and everything. And so it was an interesting review. This game is played completely silent. Like, there's no, there's no talking. You're, you're actually texting between each other during it. And there's like cards and texting and everything. And now the subject matter is a little bit dark. <clears throat> so I'll just kind of leave it at that. But I thought that the mechanics uh, there, you know, that uh, Modoc does a really good job of describing through this review, make it sound like a really interesting game. Maybe not something you want to play a bunch of times, <clears throat> but um, with the right group, uh, it sounds like a kind of a, a weird, you know, a different experience, a different kind of game that you may have never played before. So I hadn't heard, you know, I had not heard. Uh, it's just really inventive, you know, very inventive, unique. Like I say, quite dark, but um, with the the texting and the clue cards and everything else, it seemed like, a, you know, one that uh, um, one that I thought I'd mention and, and send folks over. So I got a link over there to check that out. It's also got a, a timer. You know, it counts down from 90 minutes and certain things are triggered at different different time periods you know, different cards and whatever else, you know, at different points of time. So very, very interesting sounding game. You can read more about that over at rollingboxcars.com. I noticed that the Monster Brains blog is celebrating a 15-year anniversary. Now, this one may not be ostensibly for gaming, 
but what they do is they collect you know monster art monster images from from every source from you know you know you know practice you know uh you know thousands of years ago to you know 1950s 1970s you know classic monster movie art to really weird modern stuff it's just endless and there's so much inspiration and uh, you know even just scrolling through a sidebar on this post you're going to see uh lots of you know great things and as rpgers tend to love monsters that's one i've been following i know a lot of other people have been following it so anyway 15 years of monster brains congratulations to aaron over there 15 years doing anything is an achievement so check that out i saw this over at the take on rule take on rules.com this is jeremy freeson blogging over there and the name of the post was strategies for cold opens of impromptu games also applicable for getting any game going and so they're given a couple of examples of ways to start an rpg with a new batch of characters like for one shot games and and everything else and one of the things they they do is is like character bonds, you know, finding out ways that characters are related to each other, which was, you know, something I heard before, not something, you know, not what I'm focused on talking about here. What I'm talking about here, what really caught my eye was their second example of the cold opens for impromptu games. But instead of being like a one shot, they talk about, they say, let's say you ran a game that fizzled out a while ago and you decided to want to pick that back up. Now, I think that's probably happened to a lot of people right now due to COVID. Certainly myself put all my games on hiatus. So they've been on hiatus going on basically a year at this point. And the game I was running even then was meant to just be an aside before we kind of went back to D and D. So it's been, you know, well over a year since we ran my night below game. And so the idea here is instead of, you know, say you're coming back to the game, uh, and probably a lot of people for their face-to-face -face games, you know, they've been, you know, disrupted. It says, instead of trying to pick back up where you left off, consider advancing the time a bit, but asking the characters about the events that transpired after that last session. And I love that. I think that is a really cool idea. Because, for one thing, it may have been so long since you ran the game that... You might not remember exactly what was going on. Or, I mean, if your game if your game was already online, you know, maybe it is frozen in time perfectly. You know what everybody's hit points were. You know whose turn it was, whatever else. But for a lot of people, unless you take really, really good notes, you know, you might not even be aware of exactly where it left off. But the other thing, too, is thinking of, for example, in my game, uh, my Night Below game, they were having to defeat these trolls to impress these gnomes to get their help uh, to, uh, exploring the Underdark and everything. And the trolls, you know, there were a lot of them. It was a whole basically trolls nest. And they'd already lost one player, got killed by uh, trolls. They were having to figure it out. It was this whole knockdown drag out. And it was basically, you know, the last couple of sessions had been dealing with trying to figure out how to, you know, to deal with these trolls. So if, if we got the game back going and I say, all right, well, we're going to get the game back going. And now we're right back to those trolls. You know? <laughs> 
it's almost like they probably would just, can we have more COVID? You know, can we, can we, can we go another 10 months? Can we never play again? You know, because it would just not be the way you want to bring, you know, if you've had a long break from a game and everything, you want it to be a, you definitely want to have a great first session back and everything. So I think this is a great idea to where I can say, okay, so we're going to jump back in, but the, you, you've beaten the trolls. You know, let's talk a little bit about what happened. Now, the the piece of everybody, the characters being able to say what happened about the events that transpired and all that, that, that part doesn't work quite as good with the trolls because what are they going to say? We killed some trolls, you know. It was not going to be any kind of role play or anything else. You know, maybe they come up with something. But my point is the asking the characters about events that transpired that that part of letting them make the fiction might work better for some different types of games. You know, certainly if there was a role play uh, aspect to where you left off, uh, that might be a, a better thing there. But I love the idea of fast forwarding and advancing the session when you come back to it. In fact, I think that's just great advice because so many times they might not remember where they were anyway, or you might right have been in the middle of a combat, which arguably is not a great way to come back after a long break. Um, certainly if it was, you know, they'd been butting their heads up against a plot point for a few sessions, that's not a great place to come back in. Uh, so I think advancing the session and then, you know, depending on whether it fits, letting them say what happened, uh, was just a really, really cool idea. So anyway, that's from, that's from over at takeonrules.com from Jeremy Friesen. I really like that. Um, that's, uh, uh, something I've been thinking about ever since I read it. So I, I knew I had to share that with y'all. And then the last thing I got for you over, this is from the Indie RPG newsletter. And this is from a Substack, TTRPG, tabletoprpg.substack.com. This is Thomas over there. I noticed this, this is kind of right up my alley, you know, similar to what I'm doing here on a weekly basis, similar to what Ben Milton does with their Gladys scent. I believe that's what it's called. Gladys scent. It's not, uh, um, newsletter that they do. Uh, this is a, a newsletter on indie RPGs with videos, you know, links, new releases, everything, you know, in the same ballpark of what I do over here. They just did their number 25, uh, their 25th issue of it. And all you do is handy dandy, type in your email address, and you will receive this newsletter as it comes out. So I'll put that up. Cool idea. And um, anyway, so check that out as well. Free stuff. All right, so the free stuff is just outrageous this week. Uh, for one thing, the one-page Dungeon Contest 2020 winners have been announced. This over at DungeonContest.com. So that is cool. Congratulations to the winners. My daughter and I did not participate this year. just was not uh, in the cards. But they also, at that same post i put also put up the link for you um keep in mind all these links everything i'm talking about is at the thought eater blog but of a google drive folder with all of the submissions and it was like a hundred and something you know so just there alone you've got you know a hundred plus one page dungeons <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you follow along with the show long enough you, you know you quickly find out there's more free stuff than you'll ever use but 
I love one page dungeons are, you know, so easy to, you know, use for a session, sometimes even more than one session, the way, um, some of the information's in there. And then, uh, you know, you just print off one page and take it somewhere, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's a bunch more, a bunch more stuff to put on your hard drive. And then over at the Dungeoneering Game blog, this is Thomas Denmark's blog. I mentioned this uh, blog uh, here recently. Uh, they shared that the Dungeons & Dragons Adventure game uh, from TSR, kind of like a basic D&D for second edition, one of the latter products uh, you know, of the TSR run is available for free over at DriveThruRPG. And this is a pretty rare um, you know, item. To, to find and print. So um, it's definitely worth snagging. Uh, they mention it's got a rules book as well as an adventure book with, with three adventures. So, so check that out. The Dungeons and Dragons adventure game, the adventure begins now. Download that for free over at drive through RPG. What do I have next? Over at the Lapidary Ossuary blog, Linden's blog. They've got a free download. A 98-room dungeon called the Cherry Crips. You can download the PDF of that for free. Very cool. Tearless Retina. Uh, this is... I don't know whose blog this is. But they've got their game Desert up. A role-playing game about ordinary people stuck in a near-future city. It's got city building tools, robots, terrorists, it's got everything. Desert. You can download that for free over at tearlessretina.blogspot.com. Make sure I'm going in order here. Yes. Then at whosemeasure.blogspot.com, the Whose Measure God Could Not Take blog. This is Flox's blog. They've got a free adventure up a desolate dust crawl the sunken tomb of horrors so you can check that out it's got a map from dyson logos with that as well and then finally now this is killer i don't know where i saw this i think i saw it over on reddit but uh this person hodag has an itch page hodagrpg.itch.io these are free but they're pamphlet games like sci-fi themed solo dice games that are, you know, front and back print, you know, fold as a pamphlet. Escape the hyper trench, survive the hyper tundra, and destroy the hyper terminal. And these have all been just popping up really fast. Love the layout and art of this. They cram a ton of stuff in. There's all these little black and white drawings. They remind me of the old like Seeger I used to fall, you know, I used to read a lot of old school newspaper comics and stuff when I was younger. I had all these Smithsonian books and everything else, something that I love, but I, I haven't looked at all that stuff in years. So I'm going to blank. Maybe I can look it up really quick without it. Uh, without in too much of a, yeah, EC Cigar. Yeah, that's what it was. Before, the creator of Popeye is this American cartoonist, E.C. Seagar. And prior to Popeye, or, or, or in the, during the early Popeyes, they also did a comic strip called Thimble Theater 
I don't know if anybody out there knows what I'm talking about. Maybe James V. West, maybe a few people. I don't know. Maybe it's more common than I think. But the Stimble Theater, the 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 panels and stuff were really busy, and there'd be all these kind of little drawings mixed in with everything else. And that's kind of what these remind me of. But I'm telling you, you've got to go over to this Hodag RPG and download these. Amazingly free. But I would follow, if you have an itch account, follow Hodag as well. Because uh, these pamphlet uh, games, uh, solo games, sci-fi games here are awesome. They, I, lo I love them. So anyway, you got to check those out. Um, be sure and go and check those out. Now I tried to find them on Twitter to thank them and give them some, you know, I, I, I tweeted about their stuff to try to give them some shine, but uh, I could not find them. Some people were tagging a Hodag RPG, but there was no account tagged to that so i don't even know who this this mystery designer is but I'll, I'll be hopefully seeing more from them in the future the final topic so nothing too profound or controversial as the final topic this week <clears throat> but i saw a post over at the mad queen's court blog madqueenscourt.blogspot.com this is vira or vera posting over there now a lot of us kind of take the Gygaxian advice at first when we're making our own campaign setting and you kind of start small and everything but eventually you're gonna have to expand it and also you know a lot of people I'm sure myself included have enjoyed kind of designing their own campaign settings even if you know a lot of it might never end up getting used there are so many settings out there. I mean, there are countless bloggers working on their own settings or countless products. You know, I think a lot of people just like to make their own because they're so inundated with, with setting materials. You know, I, I find myself just kind of going back to the well, going back to Greyhawk a lot, um, just because it's familiar and, and, I, and I like it and, you know, that sort of thing. But... I think there's sometimes a tendency when we make our own settings where we're, we're maybe conditioned. I don't know. This has happened to me before. And when I see other people setting materials, it often appears to be the case that, you know, we're so influenced, I don't know, maybe by high school history classes or, or, uh, you know, really bad textbooks to where, and I'm not even speaking about how dry um, the information can be, but also just the kind of information we provide. Like, uh, oh, the, the barony of Hildensburg, you know, population 10,000, led by, you know, Queen Bugatti, and they grow a lot of wheat, you know. And so that's kind of, you know, how stuff may be presented in history books or whatever. But from an adventuring perspective, it's like, oh, we're in the we're in the land of wheat now, you know. So this, you know, this is just me talking and riffing about different approaches. I've talked a lot about, you know, random tables for. Uh, for setting design and using random tables in the place of wall of text. And I've talked about 
you know, the greats at doing that, like Chris Tam over the Elf Maids and Octopi blog. But one other way uh, that you can kind of get your, start to wrap your head around and kind of live in your own setting a little bit is by asking questions, setting questions about, about the setting. Um, and you can kind of tailor those to information that adventurers might actually want rather than, you know, how much wheat is grown in the barony, you know. One of the more famous posts about this was uh, Jeff Reent's post at Jeff's game blog about 20 quick questions for your campaign setting. And it was kind of the standard sorts of things. There's a little humor to it, but, you know, who's the mightiest wizard in the land? Who's the richest person in the land? Where can you get magical healing? Are there any wars brewing? Uh, are there any legendary lost treasures, right? Kind of standard. Then a few years ago, Scrap Princess uh, over at the Monster Manual Sewn from Pants blog, Monster Manual Sewn from Pants.blogspot.com, took this and pushed it to kind of a bizarre and absurd level with questions like, uh, what do birds know? And uh, at what level do I have to get my character to become the GM? What's the dumbest thing I can spend my money on? Are there weaponized squid? <laughs> what cultures approve of cannibalism? These are questions you really want your players to ask you. Can I invent an insect? So these are really good and funny and kind of different. And then over at the Mad Queen's Court, this week, they mention uh, that this is the list of things they honestly want to ask about their, you know, their game. And it includes, you know, uh, can I start out having already made a deal with the devil or do I have to do that in game? Uh, how do I learn how to talk to rocks? Not just once a day, but like normally, right? <laughs> um if I eat someone's heart, will I gain their powers? What about their brain? <laughs> so on some level that there's humor, uh, you know, obviously humor and absurdity to some of these questions, but there's still a kind of a truth to it that by trying to find a different approach to your setting creation, you might, um, you know, you, you might be more successful or you might feel like you get to know it better. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily feel like you know a place you read about in a history book if all it's telling you is, you know, population, you know, a couple of points of interest, trade goods, what they farm, what they mine, right? The real flavor comes from the kind of questions you would ask as an adventurer. So this is just something, it was a good reminder for myself to kind of go back and look at when designing a setting to think about the kind of questions that your players might ask and, and to also, you know, what kind of questions, you know, can lead to the unusual, you know, the hooks about your setting, what makes it different than everything else. So anyway, I've got uh, links up to the uh, the Scrap Princess blog as well as the um, the Mad Queen's Court, so you can see these. And 
some people have already taken these questions and gone and, and answered it over at the Nothics Eye blog, the Sundered Shillings blog, and uh, Flocks over at the Who's Measure blog that I already mentioned. You know, I've taken these and kind of answered them. So, you know, we can think about what what, what are the ten questions you know that, that that you'd ask about your setting, or or ten questions that you think that can come kind of prompt and pull out the interesting bits. You know, what's different and unique about your setting there. So anyway, just something to think about on the world building tip. Outro. Ooh, wow. That is a lot of show, a lot of awesome stuff for y'all to look at. Don't know how my performance was. I'm a little drained today, a little tired, had a lot going on. And uh, just a little peek behind the curtain. There's a lot of work that goes into these. It might not sound like it when you just hear froth rambling, but you know I'm following all this stuff all week, filing a ton of stuff away, emailing it to myself, bookmarking. Uh, then I start to put the blog post together, and so there's a lot of whittling down, categorizing, getting the images up and everything. And uh, by the time I'm doing this show, I'm, I'm kind of listening back, trying to make sure the audio is at least bearable you know, organizing everything else. It's, it's hours and hours and hours, but I just have this strange compulsion to share cool stuff with you. And it's just the, the way I am, I guess. <laughs> but if you do want to support the program, it's only a dollar a month, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. You like what I'm doing. Be sure and, you know, thank the bloggers, thank the folks when you are able for all the free stuff and everything they're putting up. Keep in mind uh, that Zine Quest is coming. I've given you, I've given you all I got. I've, I've tried to find as many tips as I can for would-be creators. I've tried to help you consumers from, you know, having to take out a second mortgage on this thing. I will continue to be hyping it up throughout the month of February, showing off stuff that I'm following and backing and uh and trying to highlight that stuff as best as i can for you thank you so much to the folks that called in uh you made the show better and so anybody out there has any comments questions anything about anything we talked about today you go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater you can also email me froth sof froth sof at gmail.com follow me on twitter at Frothsoft at FrothSOF, or just search for Thought Eater on there and I should pop up. <clears throat> Remember that all the topics that we talked about on this and prior hump days are over at the Thought Eater blog. Uh, and if you're looking at it on desktop mode, you can follow the tags to all the previous hump day shows and everything else. I think that is everything. want to give a huge shout to kind of my super backers that are really helping me out on Patreon. Rob C. from Down in a Heap. I'm the only podcast I can stand to listen to. Down in a Heap. Jason over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. He's forgotten more about RPGs than Froth may ever know. Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And of course, Kremlin Keep. KremlinKeep.com. Adventures blogs, professional GM services, and they were kind of mentioning maybe doing something for ZineQuest. I don't know if they are or not, but I will certainly be mentioning that 
should they do that. Anyway, I think that's it. Another hump day has come and gone. A lot of good stuff this week. Uh, I mean, even just um, some of the free stuff alone was was worth the uh, was worth the listen. I hope. So that's what I got for you. Have a great rest of the week. I'll talk to you next on Five Minute Friday. Let's go, Logan. Take us home. Ah, almost forgot. Under the outro tab, some funny stuff this week. Uh, some Bernie Sanders. <laughs> related RPG stuff, believe it or not, a few kind of comedic things as a palate cleanser under the outro tab for the uh, blog companion post for this. Sorry about that, Logan. Let's do it. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade, zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom,